pipes on. I think, yeah, okay. Everybody give James a hand. That guy works so hard. And I'm just going to tell you something. Last Friday, James was burning up with a fever and still brought the PA here. And then came back after trying to rest after the service and took it back. So if, okay, if you have a clean driving record and can pull, drive, a van, pulling a little trailer, small, we need you. Because that guy needs a break, all right? So just seriously, you know, he, he, he's got, there's Estelle back there and Janelle, and they like to see him at home sometimes, so, right? Yeah, so, yeah, see wave Estelle, okay. My daddy needs a break. <laughs> okay. If that doesn't get you, I don't know, nothing I say will. <laughs> She's more powerful than me. All right. Well, welcome to CCF. My name is David. I'm one of the pastoral staff here, and we are super glad that you have taken your evening to be with us. So we are going to press on in our series in Genesis. The title of it is, oh, you guys are just excellent, okay? And um, so really what we're doing, it's our, we're looking at the creation accounts in, in chapters one and two. Uh, kind of through this lens to help us see what is God like and what are people like? What are we as humans like? Because this is really what we're finding out what's the, the intention of the author of Genesis, is to really get us to come to terms and to, to lay out some foundational truths about who is God and who are we. And so last week and this week, we're focusing on God. Isn't that good? You came to CCF and we're going to focus on God in the talk. So... Who is God? What's he like? And so um, tonight, um, as we think about God, I want to start this way, okay? I want to ask you a question. I want to start by asking you if you experienced, ooh, I'm banging around there, if you experienced any pleasures today or this whole past week. Maybe today was pleasure-free, but throughout this week, have you experienced any pleasures just stop and think for a minute, okay? Well, okay, let me rephrase it. Not did you experience any pleasures, but what kinds of pleasures did you experience? Because the reality is we all did, I'm assuming, okay? Unless you had a very bad week, and then we'll come pray for you, okay? <clears throat> now, I knew what I was going to be preaching on um, earlier, and so I, had to, you know, early on last week started trying to ask myself, what are the pleasures that I'm experiencing in my life? And so I just said, Lord, help me become aware. Help me to, to, um, to think about that and just be, get that on my radar, okay? And so, so here were some of the, you know, some things that stood out. I mean, you know, I could go on and on and I won't, but, you know, so Saturday, last Saturday, my oldest son and I went up to Mount Baker. And if I don't know if you remember last Saturday. I know it's a long time ago, but it was sunny, right? It was just gorgeous. And we were up there, and I mean, you know, just the, the, all the mountains all around and the blue sky and the, the snow and the crisp air. It was, it was sensory overload. I mean, just, you know, gluttony for the eyes. It was just amazing. 
came home that evening, and then uh, uh, Shelly and I went out. My wife Shelly and I went out for uh, a date. We went to On Rice, and we love Thai food, and so we got some some good uh, iced Thai coffees. Oh, so good, yeah. And then I got my favorite dish, which is drunken noodle. I don't know if you guys, anybody a drunken noodle fan out there? Okay, and no, there's no booze in it, just so you know, but you can come ask me afterwards why they call it drunken noodle, okay? Because um, we found out. And it was just so delicious because I burned, you know, a gazillion calories up going up on Mount Baker. And so just so good. Later uh, in the week, we experienced the joy of having uh, my uh, daughter Sadie, her 12th birthday. And so we had all family and friends and a, get, a big get-together and just kind of the, the joy of friends and family and laughter and all that kind of good stuff, okay? Um, also in this week, I experienced the the joy and thrill of physical intimacy with my wife. And I'm going to stop there. Because I want to keep this a G-rated sermon. And everybody's kind of breathing a sigh of relief going, that could have been really awkward. Okay? But it was great. That's all I'm going to say. All right? Okay? I know, it's too much information. I, I, I lost you all on that one. I knew it. I debated, should I, shouldn't I? And I did. <laughs> so, a couple times, I've been very uh, aware in the morning when it's so cold and you get in, you turn on the shower and it's this warm water. You know that feeling? Oh, and you're just under it and you're just basking in it. Mm, I didn't have to build a fire or anything to get that water hot. Or the smell of coffee, if, you know, one morning in the office we had the coffee going and, ah, oh, so good, okay? And I could go on and on, but, you know, what about you? What, what physical pleasures did you experience this week, okay? Now, maybe some of you are saying, what, what, wait a minute, first of all, where is he going and, and isn't this a Christian meeting? You know, the man's up here talking about his intimate love life and, Aren't Christians supposed to talk about the, the life of pleasure, enjoyment? That, that's kind of off limits. Aren't we really supposed to focus on the illicit pleasures that we are to avoid and that are forbidden? And maybe some here would even say, well, I mean, isn't really, in the end, isn't God just kind of a cosmic killjoy? He fills the world with earthly delights, kind of puts it in front of us, and then as we reach for him, he says, no! Don't touch, don't taste, or at least don't have too much enjoyment with it. Isn't the God of the Bible just full of prohibitions telling us what we can't do, what we should enjoy? Isn't pleasure ungodly? Isn't it bad? Isn't it kind of unchristian? Well, I want us, with that, this kind of intro, we're going to look at our, our text, and we're going to talk about God kind of with that frame, with those questions and this idea of of pleasure and goodness. And here's what I'm going to kind of launch out by saying. It's all good. The goodness of creation reflects the goodness of God. When we go through, if you've, hopefully you've read Genesis 1 and 2. I'm hoping you've you've done that. If you haven't done that, hmm. Shame on you. No, okay. But do read it, okay? When you read it, you're gonna, you should be 
quickly struck by the repetition of the word good. There's good shows up a lot. And if, you know, if we're learning our, our, how, how to study the scripture, whenever you see your, a word repeated a lot, that should clue us in. This is a kind of a theme we're supposed to get a hold of, okay? So this word good is there a lot. Chapter 1, verse 4, God saw that the light was good. Chapter 1, verse 10, when God separated the, the land and the seas, it says that God saw it was good. When he caused the land to produce vegetation and trees bearing fruit with seeds in it, God saw that it was good. In fact, 11 times the word good is used in those opening chapters. With this idea that what God makes is good. Now, one time the word good is used in the context that God saw something that wasn't good in the creation. He sees Adam over there, and he's just kind of, you know, hanging out with the cheetahs and the zebras, and how's it going? And, but, he, you know, he's all alone, and God's like, that's not good. This is not good. And so God goes to work, solves the problem, pops out Eve, and Adam agrees with God. This, now this is good. Zebras, good. Eve, mm, so good, okay? Right? This is good. And God says, yes, this is good. Okay? We get into chapter 2. Chapter 2 is really kind of a, a second account, creation account, kind of with a different angle, different emphasis, trying to make a few, some different theological statements there. And in this account, we're told that God plants a garden in the east, in Eden. And interesting, the, the uh, etymology for the Hebrew word Eden really actually carries with it the idea of pleasure and delight. So God makes a garden filled with pleasures and delights, and he puts the man and the woman into this garden. It says, in this garden, the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And he tells them, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. And then we'll finish that verse in a little bit. One author put it this way. Life in the garden is represented as a banqueting table, good for food and delightful to the eyes. Now, I want us just to stop and think, you know, God didn't have to do it that way. The creator did not have to do it this way. He could have done something a little more utilitarian and functional. He could have simply created Adam and Eve and then had these little energy pills and say, now, here's some energy pills. They don't really taste like much. They taste like chalk. You're not going to have a lot of, you know, sensory enjoyment as you chew them. They're not going to be real pleasant to look at, but they are going to, you know, nourish your body. They're going to give you what the nutrients you need. Just take two of these every day. Call me in the morning if you have any problems, okay? So, but what does he do? He doesn't do that. Instead, he creates this, this just kind of a banqueting table, a wide variety of, of fruits and different kinds of foods with textures and, and tastes and flavors and colors. Why? Because he wants to... He wants this to be good, to be enjoyable. Or think about the way, um, you know, the whole, the whole human reproduction thing. I mean, he could have done it a different way, yes? He could have said, here's how it's going to happen. Adam's going to take a little earwax. Eve's going to take a little of her earwax. They're going to mash it together. And boom, you're going to have a baby. 
This is how we're going to do it. Isn't that great? It'll be so special. I know, that was kind of weird, but he could have. He could have done it any way he wanted. He's the creator. He could have done it however he wanted. But instead, you know, he creates this, this thrill and the intense pleasure of sexual intimacy. He chose it that way. I mean, we've got to stop. I mean, I'm, I'm, we're joking around. We really do need to stop. And that should tell us something about God. It really should. That, that God is good. And that's really what we're, we're driving home tonight. It's really basic. We sang about it in a very cool song. That, that last one was very cool. God is good. That in fact, God is not a cosmic killjoy who seeks to kind of hold out on us. But he is a blessing God. He is a God who seeks to bless. He's hardwired the world and he's hardwired us as physical beings so that we might enjoy the creation, that we might find pleasure as we walk about and live in this world. And here's another thought. In our pleasure, God finds pleasure. In our delight, God finds his delight. We all know this because think about the pleasure you and enjoyment you have when you give somebody a gift, somebody you care about, and you give them a gift Isn't it fun to watch them open it and to see, assuming it's a good gift, and see the reaction on their face? You know, and of course, as a parent, I have four kids, and so we've got to watch countless birthdays and and Christmases and watching our kids open gifts. And as I was writing this, I just had images, you know, of our oldest son opening. I couldn't remember what it was, honestly, but some gift. And it was something we really wanted, man, when he opened it. Ah, he just was through the roof. He was so excited. I mean, you know, Shelly and I, we just beamed. This is, this is cool. This brings us great joy and pleasure. And I think that's what God experiences when we enjoy what he has made. It makes his heart glad. But now imagine if I gave a gift to my son. I gave it. And he opened it. And I said, all right, don't play with it. Don't even touch it. Okay, you can play with it. But don't enjoy it. At least don't enjoy it too much. Don't like it. I mean, you'd say, I was a whack job. Like, what is that guy's problem? Okay? I think for some Christians, this whole idea of of pleasure and enjoyment, for some, you know, it's synonymous with bad. It's not good. And it's something that that, um, God maybe is displeased with. Their attitudes towards pleasure betrays a distortion in their view of God. Now, most of us are thinking, wait a minute, well, okay, but you, uh, you know, I know, we're good Christians in this room. Ah, okay, but boy, well, I get nervous, you know, because pleasure can get us in trouble, you know. It's a double-edged deal. It can lead us astray. And to that I say, yes, you're right. And that's, there are sermons for that too, okay? There's a place to talk about that. But on the flip side, there may be some, there may be some even here. Certainly there have been some throughout, you know, the church history, but there may be some here tonight where there's really, a, a, you, there, for you there's a constant struggle to not feel guilty when you are enjoying something. To, for you, maybe there is kind of a constant taboo on enjoyment. That somehow it's unspiritual. The really spiritual ones, you know, they, they don't enjoy 
Maybe they partake, but they don't enjoy. And most likely they don't partake. Gary Thomas in his book called Pure Pleasure, and the subtitle of that is Why Do Christians Feel So Bad About Feeling Good? And he writes this, okay? And I got this up on the screen for us. Here's the reality. Satan will trap some with compulsions towards illicit pleasures. These traps are well known and preached against every week. But other believers tend toward prideful work-oriented compulsions in which any rest or any enjoyment is seen as weakness or giving in. Since God didn't make us to live in sin or without pleasure, either way of life will eventually destroy us. That's something to think about, isn't it? We've got to have a good theology of pleasure. Not, not no theology of pleasure. We've got to have a good theology of pleasure. And it flows out of the goodness of God. It's a testimony of his goodness. The Apostle Paul, he says this. And Paul, if you've read anything of Apostle Paul in the New Testament, you know he has plenty to say about the dangers of illicit pleasures. And he says a, a whole lot about that. But he will also warn against kind of the flip side, kind of where Gary was warning us. And so... Uh, in 1 Timothy, he's speaking, he's writing to Timothy and, and warning him of those in the church who were teaching, uh, and he called them the doctrine of demons. He said, this is the doctrine of demons. They teach that they forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God, be, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And listen to this. This is kind of our theme. For everything God created is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Bam. So put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. Okay, don't. All right? Because I'm not, again, I'm pushing the envelope. You hear me, okay? Okay? But here's what I want us to get a hold of. Our enjoyment of this world can be a very, can be, is not always, but can be a very healthy and holy thing that brings God pleasure and shouts out his goodness and his glory in the earth. You hear that? Okay. Sometimes our whole, our whole, we have kind of a, a we're just the anti-people. Rather than building a rich theology towards things, you know, and the creation Theology of creation builds a richness towards the goodness of God and what he's made. And that's where I'm trying to, to push it, okay? Okay, but some are still saying, yeah, but Genesis also tells us in the midst of all of God's provisions and the pleasures that come with his provisions, God also has prohibitions. He's, he's restrictive. God didn't just, you know, doesn't just set us loose on a kind of a unbridled pleasure-seeking frenzy in the garden, that there were real experiences that, and pleasures denied to Adam and Eve, and hence to us. I mean, there is that whole tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Genesis 2, 16, 17. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And to this I say, yes, amen, this is true. 
So God is a God of lavish provision. It shows his goodness. He's also a God who prohibits. And of course, we know Adam and Eve's tragic response to this command, this prohibition. And we, we are living in the tsunami wake of it ever since. And we ourselves replicate it. Here you have, in the midst of this lush garden and all these wonderful things, God just puts one little boundary. He says, right here. That's, that's one I, don't, I want you to not touch that. I'm going to put a prohibition on that one. And yet, in the midst of all this goodness and, and provision, where do they go? This is the one. How come he doesn't give us this one? He's holding out on us. He's not good. It speaks volumes in a, neg- in a negative way about them and us because we do the same thing. Rather than speaking ne- negatively about God. But maybe some for you that it doesn't settle it. You know, and the question still remains, does God's prohibition mean that he is somehow not good? Because that's our theme. God is good. But does his prohibition, we know his provision says he's good. Does his prohibition mean that he's not good, that he's not loving? So let me ask a question. Should I be considered a bad, unloving father because I put boundaries on my children? When they were younger, they're older now, but when they were younger, was it unloving of me to tell them that they could not play out in the busy street? Was it uncaring of me to tell them you, you can't play with matches? And no, you can't light try to light a fire in our fireplace. And no, you can't take my keys and try to drive my car when you're five years old. And no, you shouldn't touch the hot stove. Unloving? No, of course not. So my prohibitions, and we, you know, we understand this, my prohibitions were never a contradiction of my love for them. My prohibitions were always an expression of my love for them. It didn't mean I wasn't good. It was because I wanted to be good towards them. And so, uh, in fact, lots of people would think, I, you know, parents that don't put restrictions are unloving, bad parents. My placing a prohibition or restriction on my kids, say, for playing in the street, we, was because I wanted not to stifle their freedom. I wanted them to be free for the rest of their adult life to be alive. And to live and to move and have full movement and not be maimed or injured or worse. And I think we get this. I mean, I know you guys get this. You're college students. You understand this. Now, there's all kinds that we could, you know, and later sermons may touch on that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Ooh, what's so special about that tree? And it have special things glowing on it. And, or was it just a regular tree? Who knows, okay? But and so we don't have time to go into those those ideas, okay? But there's great sermons can be preached about God's all-knowing and, and our limited knowledge of, of choices of morality and what's good and what's not good. But here's the point I really want to bring home for us tonight. The creation stories teach us that both the provision and the prohibitions of God flow out of and reveal the goodness of God, the goodness of His character. Both are rooted in his love for us. Both the provision and the prohibition. And that's part of what Genesis is wanting to say. Is God is good. He's always good. He's good when he gives you pleasures and delights. And he's good when he says no. He's still good. They're all expressions of his goodness for us. 
And I mentioned earlier, some struggle to really, on a first part, part to enjoy and experience uh, kind of guilt-free uh, the blessings of God. Somehow it doesn't line up with their view of God. But others here, you know, and at, all, at times all of us, have found ourselves on the other end where we are kind of, we end up getting fixated on the thing prohibited. We're like Adam and Eve. The tree. Forget all this other stuff. The tree. It's the thing I can't have. Why? Why do we, why do we fixate on that? And how do we break free? If this is maybe where we find ourselves at. If we find ourselves in a place of fixation, we're forgetting all the provisions and we're fixated on the prohibitions. Now, a bunch of us in our cores, we've either gone through or we're, we're going to get ready to go into some, uh, some studies that really are geared towards helping us overcome various addictive fixations and sins in our life. And so I'm not going to go through all that stuff. You know, that's for, the cores are going to kind of handle that. How do we overcome sin if we're stuck in the prohibition, if we're captivated by the prohibition? And so I'm going to leave that for cores and one-to-ones. Here's kind of where I, how I want us to close. I want us to consider some ways, kind of proactively, that will help us see the whole garden. Now, the prohibition is part of God's goodness. But if you're stuck there and you're having trouble there, I wanna, what I want to do is kind of pan back and say, let's look at the whole garden. Look at all that he's provided. Let's figure out how we can enjoy in a greater way the abundance of God's provision. And so I'm going to say three things kind of as a, as a, a kind of application points, okay? The first one is this. Don't let the culture or the enemy reduce your pleasure index. The, the culture and the enemy, that's a tactic we see in, in Genesis account, they want to reduce our ideas of pleasure and what's good to a very limited realm. In our culture, it usually consists of um, sexual activity, illicit sexual activity, outside of marriage is always best, having a lot of money, overindulging your appetites, having a lot of free time with very little responsibility. This is what we're bombarded with. This is the pleasure the life of goodness and the pleasure-filled life. And if you can't have these things, or if your faith tells you you shouldn't have these things, then you're just a poor sucker. You're just going to be miserable. And I don't believe it. You know? It's a lie. It's a pile of, you know? It's a cheap substitute for what's the real and lasting pleasures. And it is sure to let you down. It is a way to get us to look at what's forbidden or unattainable and, and ignore the lush provisions of God in our life. And it's funny that, you know, those who kind of shrink the pleasure index down and, and the enjoyment of life down to these elements, they tend to be some of the most outspoken and some of the most popular people in our culture. And they're some of the most ridiculously unhappy people. You know, we read about their poor, miserable lives in People magazine and on entertainment TV shows. They're not happy. 
They aren't experiencing a full life. So my encouragement is don't let culture and the enemy reduce or redefine the good life. So kind of moving out of that second, which kind of flows into this next one. Instead, I'd say broaden your enjoyment of this world by cultivating a growing sensuous life. Okay, I want to explain that. We need to broaden our enjoyment of this world by cultivating a growing sensuous life. I don't mean sensual. Sensual has the meaning of overindulgence of the senses, unrestrained and kind of lustful gratification of our physical appetites. What a sensual person that is. Okay? I mean sensuous. Sensuous, by the way, I found this out. I never knew this. It was coined by... For you English majors, John Milton, who wrote Paradise Lost. I never knew that. He came up with that word. And what he was trying to do was to recapture this idea of a virtuous and a fulfilling experience and enjoyment of our life via our God-given senses. That God gave us senses so we could enjoy the world around us. God is all for a sensuous life. He wants us to use our senses in a sensible way, okay? So let me just suggest some ideas of what, what I'm, well, what does that mean though, David? That sounds great, but you know, I don't know what you're talking about. Give me some ideas, okay? It may require turning off a screen now and then, you know. Some ideas to cultivate and heighten our, our, our sensuous experience. You could go out and walk in nature. And I know for some of you, are like, oh, Okay, I just turned you off right now. Okay, hang with me, all right? Kind of letting your, unplugging everything and kind of letting your senses begin to tune in. You know, there's this, this hill up here called Seaholme Hill. <sighs> Go, yeah, I know, I know. It's there. Go for a walk in it sometime, okay? And, and listen, listen. See if you can hear birds, smell things, hear things. Let your senses kind of come back to life. You could go to a concert, enjoy some live music. I mean, you know, you got these things. Going to a live one concert's always better. And it doesn't have to be classical. That would be good. It could be something else, okay? But it's this enjoyment with our ears. You could go look at some good art. I, we, maybe we could find some somewhere. I don't know. Maybe there's some here. I'm not sure, but we'll go Fine. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah, there is some. Jared, right? Oh, there you go, Jared. He's preaching. I should get him up here. Okay? There is. Yeah. Okay? Sorry. That was probably unhelpful. There is good art. Okay? Go find some. Jared will help us. And you'll explain it to us. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Preach it, brother. Okay? Um, go, yeah, Lakewood facility. Absolutely. Go get a canoe. Okay? Okay, um, go watch Les Miserables, right? Listen to the music. Let it stir you. Let the noble themes that it says, that it speaks of, move us, okay? Read a good book. Let it fuel your imagination. You know, part of it is we let every, you know, we're, we're so kind of image-saturated. We, we, all the, you know, all the media, computer, graphic people do all the work for us, but allow your own imagination to do some work 
Kind of heighten that experience. Write a poem. Build something. Bake something. You know? Guys, you may just want to burn something because you like to do that too. That's, that's sensory. <laughs> you know? Okay? I'd rather go burn something than spend endless hours on a screen. I'd be all for it, okay? Um, go play with some kids. Yeah, go play with some kids. Okay? All right? I have it. Go talk to some elderly folks. Listen to what they have to say. Okay? Have a good cup of coffee with a friend and talk. I mean, it's just on and on it goes. This life is filled with pleasures. Here's what Paul says. He writes to Timothy. He's writing to rich people. And he's telling them, don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But put, tell them to put their hope in God. And here's the line I want us to focus on. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. In other words, you don't have to be rich to have everything provided for your enjoyment. And there, are, there is a world of pleasures that God wants to enrich our lives with. They don't cost a ton of money. And they don't leave us with regret the next morning or rob ourselves or anyone else of dignity. We can be fully sensuous and have way more fun than cheap substitutes, okay? Last one, and we're going to close with this. Be a worshiper, not a whiner. Okay? Yeah. Our enjoyment of this good world by a good God is a chance to praise Him and worship Him and thank Him for filling our lives with abundance for all the provision. I'd encourage you, try, try doing what I did this last week. Ask God to make you aware of how he fills your life and provides pleasures galore in your life, in your experience. The next few days, try to just tune into that, the wholesome pleasures that he's filling your life with. And then give him thanks for the pleasures. And then as you give him thanks, recognize what these pleasures are communicating to you about God that he is good, and that he delights in us, and he delights in our delights. And then worship him for the good and generous God that he is. And then when you're feeling tempted by or grumpy about one of God's prohibitions in your life that he set out, don't whine. Instead, praise God and worship him that he loves you so much and that his, he loves you so much he'll even be willing to tell you a no. Because where, wherever he's saying a no to you, it's always so that in the end you can say yes to the deepest and most satisfying and lasting pleasures. That's the reason he says no. Because he wants you to be able to say yes and experience something that is much more rich and deep and lasting. And so if you're in that zone then don't whine and don't give in. Worship and remember that he's good. He's good in his provisions and he's good in his prohibitions. Okay, well, I'm going to invite the worship team down and we're going to respond. And we're going to kind of respond in two ways, okay? We're going to have a a bit of time of prayer and then we're going to take communion together, okay? Okay?
I, and here's going to be our prayer focus. And I'm going to just invite us, you can either come down and just have a time to pray here. You can turn to somebody uh, next to you and say, Let's, let, could you pray for me in this area? And here's the two ways. Some of you, if I, I mentioned earlier, uh, all this provision of God, and yet you, uh, your life is just guilt-ridden. And your life is filled with a sense of, I can't get my, my mind and my heart around a God that would delight in my delights. I just can't. I don't live that way. And I feel guilty when I relax. And I feel guilty when I enjoy, you know, a good latte. Okay? Maybe some of you aren't there and you're enjoying too much of it. And I get that, okay? This isn't for everybody. But some, really, that, you know, some, that is your deal. And God is just kind of a prudish, miserly God, stingy. Well, don't enjoy it too much. And if that's kind of where you're at, then I'd invite you to come and pray and, and ask God to, to, to surprise you, shock you with the lavishness of his goodness. And open your eyes to the, the lush garden that he's put, put you in. Others of you, it may be that you kind of got tunnel visioned, you know? There's all the good things around you, but man, you're thinking about that one thing. But it's the thing he's saying no to you. And you, um, you're in a place where you're kind of losing sight of his goodness. You're either just stuck there in this fixation. You're entrapped by it. Or you're just needing to, to say, Lord, help me to pull back and, and, and to see all the, all the garden that you've given to me. I need your help. I need your grace in that. And so if that's kind of where you're at, then we want to invite you um, to pray, respond by praying. And again, um, I think sometimes it's just helpful to come down and just say, Lord, I'm going to do some business with you. Come do some business with me. And, and if there's somebody who comes down and you know them, then come down and pray for them, okay? Or you could just turn to somebody and say, would you pray with me? And if you're not comfortable with that, you can just kind of draw in and, and, and just pray to God right where you're at. So we're just, the worship team's just going to pl- pray or play for a little bit, and we're going to pray. Um, and then they'll kind of call us out with a song out of that time. But let me go ahead and just pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God. Your good creation reveals your goodness. Thank you for your provisions, the lush world you've created and all the pleasures that we get experience. And, and Lord, I realize that there's, it's not that there isn't pain and sorrow. And I, you know, yes, we're, the world's full of that and our lives are full of it. But Lord, this, tonight we want to remember the goodness, your goodness to us. Lord, um, so help those who struggle with that. Help those who can't ex- aren't experiencing you in that way. Meet them. And Lord, we thank you that your prohibitions are good too. They reveal your goodness, your love for us, your care, your protection, so that we might experience life that is truly life. And Lord, if we find ourselves kind of stuck there or fixated on something or just having trouble to, to think of, uh, of uh, life outside of this thing, And would you help us, we pray. God, we just thank you. And we just give you our our hearts in this time to respond, Jesus.